All right, are you ready to dive in? Our second week, that's great, great. If you're not ready, get ready, because we're going to dive in. All right. Remember, we are preaching through First uh, John, Second John, and Third John from Memorial Day to Labor Day. That's why we cleverly titled this series, These Three. And so we're just talking through these three letters over the next now 14 weeks. And so today we're going to hit First John chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't know where that is, it's in the back of your Bible. And so you got First, Second, Third John, Jude, Book of Revelation. So if you hit Revelation, you went too far, all right? Just hang back, left there. No one else will judge you for that, all right? But in 1 John, we're talking through this, just kind of walking through the book, and there's three things that John hits over and over and over again because John doesn't really write in a very linear fashion. He writes in a very circular fashion, and he's just gonna hit three things over and over and over again, and those three are right doctrine, obedient living, and loving one another, like I told you last week. And so as we walk through these chapters, we're just going to see John hit these things over and over and over again. And so it's important, I think, for you to really be here as we walk through this letter. I know we're all, all going to take breaks and vacations and all that. I told you several weeks ago about my break that's coming up over the next couple weeks. And so do your best to be here and to walk through this with us, because I think this is an important message for us as a church. And I'm still going to be watching and attending, you know, myself as far as kind of listening and seeing what's going on. And I'm really excited for our pastors to be teaching through these next couple of chapters, because I think they're foundational to who we are as a church. And I want us to get this message because if we can get this message, if we can really see what John wants us to see in that who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do, then I think our church will be different. I think our church will be better for it. So that's why we're just kind of teaching through this over the next couple of weeks. And so as I'm gone away, I'm going to be praying, obviously seeking vision, resting some, making sure that our church is still on the right mission of where it needs to be. And so you can be, again, praying for us as we do that. I'll be praying for our church. And so I'm really excited over the next several weeks, not only for my own time away, but for us as we go through out these next few letters over these next few weeks, because I think, like I said, this message is so important. These three things, man, if we can get these three things right, and it's hard to keep saying these three things without messing that up, but if we can get these three things right, then I really believe that God would bless our church in a major way. And so as we jump into the text, 1 John chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing. God, I pray that as we open your word today, as always, you would open our eyes. We know without the Holy Spirit, God, we, we cannot be changed. And so I pray, God, as we see in your word the things that you have for us, that your spirit would open our eyes and we would take to heart the message that we hear and then we would leave different because of it. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter, 1 John chapter two, we're gonna start in verse one. We'll work our way down to verse 11 today. So we're just gonna hit these 11 verses. Again, John's gonna come back to several themes that he hit last week and he's gonna continue to build on them. So let's start here. We're gonna look at verse one and two to begin with. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, don't you just love conjunctions? Conjunction, junction, what show? You are well-educated. That's great. But, I love that, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. That's a big word. I'll explain it in a second. 
for our sins. And not only for our, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John, again, is reminding his readers why he's writing this. He's writing this, one, because they have seen and heard and been with Jesus. And he wants to proclaim to them what they've seen and heard. But he's writing this so that it may have an effect in their life. He's writing this in the same way that I would preach this. The intended effect is that in hearing this, in reading this, that we would sin less. That we would sin less often. You know, when, now when it comes to God, in the sight of God, and we'll get into this in verse two, the Christian is sinless. God sees us as though we've never sinned. But it doesn't mean physically speaking right here, right now, that we don't ever sin again. It doesn't mean that we're sinless. It just means over time and following him, we should sin less often. And that's why I love these verses. Obviously the goal, and he talks, he calls them my little children, which in the same way that a parent would call their children, it just means affection. My goal as a parent is not only to do the rest of you a favor by raising good godly kids, but my goal is for my kids to know that it, in the end, sin is not the way to joy. That when they sin, it's because they believed a lie that sin promised them. But my goal is for them to understand it never delivers. It may be fun for a season, but in the end, the way to true joy is not through sinful means. And so that's a goal of a parent. Yes, I want my kids to sin less. But, and this is true of parenting as well, we have to make sure we communicate to people but if you do sin, I love how he says it, but if anyone, if anyone does sin, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Now that word there, advocate, it's a very interesting word. John used it, uh, he used it several times in the gospel of John and in here. He used it in John 16 when he was quoting Jesus, when Jesus said, it's good for you that I go away, because if I go away, the Father, John 16, he says, will send another helper. That word there, helper, is this exact same word here is advocate. It's the Greek word paraclete. And so think about it like this. Jesus was talking about the, uh, another helper as the Holy Spirit. But if you have another helper, how many helpers do you have? Two. There's like seven of you that could follow my line of thinking there, all right? So if you have another, then that, doesn't, that means you have one and you have another, which makes, okay, now you all just been educated. That's great. So Jesus said in John 16, if I go, the Father will send another helper. So what that means is the first helper is Jesus. The second one is the Holy Spirit. And now how do they function? The first helper, Jesus, is not here physically. Why? Because he's at the right hand of the Father advocating on our behalf. It's a legal term. He's the go-between. He is talking to the Father, who is the judge, and he is saying, Father, those are mine. Those are the one whom I died for. That's what the word propitiation there means. It means atonement. 
And so Jewish people had the celebration, which is coming up in September of this year, called Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. It's the day when the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices for personal and communal sin. So he'd go into the presence of God and offer personal sacrifices to atone for their sins. Now what the Bible says is we don't have to do that once a year because Hebrews tells us Christ did it once for all. He went into the Holy of Holies. Jesus Christ, the righteous, went in and became the atonement for our sins. And that atonement has two parts to it. And, and theologians have debated, what, is it this one or is it that one? And, and I don't consider myself to be a theologian, but sometimes I think people try to split things and they just waste a lot of time because I think it means both. And here's the two ways that I think atonement works. One is that it purifies us and two, it satisfies the wrath of God. See, today in 21st century mindsets, we don't like talking about the wrath of God. Because we think if God is wrathful, he's mean. And I don't want to worship him. Like I read the Old Testament and, and what is up with him? He is mean. Listen, you need to understand something. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New. And what you see in the Old Testament is his wrath against sin. And he was just as loving in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. He's just as wrathful in the New Testament as he was in the Old Testament. But here's the difference now. Instead of all his wrath coming out on you, it went out on Jesus. And here's what you need to understand. You do not want to worship a God that is not wrathful. You don't want to worship a God that doesn't judge wrongdoing, that isn't mad when they see sin. Please tell me you don't want to worship this loving God who never hates sin because he's not good. Think about it like this. If somebody sins against you and it is unjust, what is the only thing in the world that allows you to live at peace? You want to know what the Bible says? The only way that allows you to live at peace is the doctrine of hell. You're like, what? The doctrine of hell allows me to live at peace? Yeah, you want to know why? Because if you sin against me or someone I love, I can know that I don't have to get vengeance on you because God will. And what is God's ultimate vengeance? It's hell. The only way I can live at peace in the world is knowing that any injustice will not get past God. That God will judge it. I'm telling you, you don't want to worship a God who's not wrathful. But here's the good news. The good news is, John says it in John 3, verse 36. He says, if you come to the Son, you have life. But if you don't obey the Son, the wrath of God remains on you. So here's the good news of the gospel. God is going to punish sin. But if you come to Jesus, God will punish Jesus for your sin. And therefore, the wrath of God will remain on him and not on you. That's the good news. I thought somebody would amen there, but that's all right. So what John is saying is he's the propitiation for our sin. So when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, not only did it purify us, but it appeased the law. 
So now, listen, in the end, God is going to judge either the person or Jesus, and therefore God's justice is met. The difference between Christians and non-Christians is not they won't be judged, it's just who gets the punishment. Jesus now gets the punishment for my sin. And now he's advocating in the presence of God the Father so that when I do sin, God is saying, or Jesus is saying to the Father, my blood covers that. So we got two helpers, we got two paracletes, one in the presence of God the Father, one in the presence of us. So Jesus is with the Father, the Holy Spirit is with us. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Romans, goes back and forth communicating on our behalf. We don't even know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit helps. So we have another helper. We got two. The first one is Jesus. Second one's the Holy Spirit. And now, because of Jesus, our sins have been atoned for. And I love how John says it. He says, but not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Now, please understand something. This is not universalism. This is not John saying the whole world will be saved. What John is saying is Jesus has done what needed to be done for the whole world to be saved. Salvation is available to the entire world. That's what makes Christ's sacrifice so epic. And I don't even know if that's the right word. It almost sounds unrighteous to say, but so unbelievable is what Christ did was enough once and for all. Past sins that were done in the Old Testament, present sins that were done at that point in time, and future sins. This is where God just blows me away because think about it like this. When Jesus died and rose again, we know it's about 2,000 years ago. So you wanna know if God is going to forgive your future sins? You wanna know how you know that? Because even the sins you committed yesterday were future from when he paid for them. So all sin post the cross is future sins. And what Jesus did on the cross was enough once and for all. Now, does that mean that everybody's gonna be saved? No. What it means is there is grace for everyone. But those who believe in that grace are saved. So we do not preach universalism here. And you need to understand this. We've had kind of a rocky history in the church world with universalism here. You know, when our country was founded several hundred years ago, it came primarily to the Northeast. And when the settlers came, when the founders of our country came, typically what they started pretty early on was churches and then universities. And so you would see churches and universities all kind of tied together. So especially the Ivy League schools as well, all they all had a theological department because the church and the university would be tied in together. And early on, everybody believed that. But you just go read a little bit of church history. What happened because the churches had congregational voting is they didn't like the idea that only some were, only those who trusted in Jesus were saved. And so then a lot of people moved into the church, joined the church, and then voted out everybody else. And the church became more universal. They became universalists in charge. So you want to know why the Northeast a lot of times is unchurched. It's because the church didn't stand its ground when people came in and started changing the doctrine. 
Which side note, that's why we don't do congregational voting here. I don't trust your theological votes. <laughs> Vote yourself in and change our doctrine. No. Little side note there. But we're not universalists, nor are we Unitarian. And a lot of times Unitarian Universalists go together. We're Trinitarian, which means Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is one in three, three in one. And we're not Universalists, which just means it doesn't really matter if you believe in Jesus or not. All roads lead to the same in the end. No, they don't. I would just lovingly say, have you traveled every road and saw where it ended? Like, did you die and see that you got in and came back to tell us about it? No, you didn't? Okay, then don't make a claim like that. But there is one who died and came back to life to tell us about it, and he's not dead now, and his name's Jesus. I'll go with him. Right? He said, the way to the Father is through me. Why Jesus? Because no one else has access like him. But here's the best news. If you're in Jesus, guess what he's doing right now, whispering to the Father? This one's mine. My blood has covered this one. I made atonement for this one. So if you do sin, that's what Jesus is saying. Man, doesn't that just make you, I don't know about you, but that just like, oh, I can just, I can take a nap. You know what I mean? Which one of the things I'm going to be doing over the next four weeks is just resting in the fact that God loves me. Just resting in the fact that I've got a helper who's talking to the Father. And I've got a spirit who's reminded my soul my sins have been paid for. I'm now not just a sinner, I'm a son. Isn't this just the best message ever? then why don't we want to share it? No claps for that one. All right, verse three. (laughs) Verse three. And by this we know that we have come to know him. By this we know, it's the title of the message, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That preposition is very important. It's not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now let's stop and talk about this for a second. This is confusing a lot of times for people because it makes it feel like John is saying we are saved because we keep his commandments. That's not what John says. He says, by this, you'll know you're in him. John is not saying the way you get in is by keeping the commands. Because newsflash, you can't. Again, go back to Ephesians chapter two. You don't have to turn. I'm just going to quote it for you. Probably the best conjunction in the Bible. Ephesians two, verse three and four. It says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse four starts with these two words, but God. Best two words in the Bible. You want to you know two words that sum up this entire book? But God. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, who's rich in mercy, saved us. By grace, you've been saved through faith. And this faith, is, that in itself is a gift. And then verse 10, it says this. We are his workmanship, saved for good works. Notice the words there. He did not say by good works. We are not saved by them. We are saved for them. So the Bible says God prepared in advance beforehand for us to do. So think about it like this. You and I aren't saved because we did something awesome. We're saved because Jesus did. But now because he did something awesome, we get to join him. So I'm not saved by good works. I'm saved for good works. And what John is saying is this. How do you know that you're in him? You can tell because those who abide in him, that word abide, same word as in John 15. Those who abide in him, obey him. How many of you know there's people that you know, but you don't have a relationship with them? You know them, but you don't have a relationship with them. I'll never forget in college, I was working for a party rental place. That's where I worked for a lot of years in high school and in college, I would set up tents and tables and chairs. And that's why I still love doing that a lot of times here because it just, I want to just, I just love kind of seeing it all to come together. I'd set up those jumpy things and all that kind of stuff. And I'll never forget in college, my second year, there, the company I was working for was contracted by a movie company because Universal Soldier 2 was going to be filmed. The opening scene was going to be filmed right next to where I was going to college. East Texas Baptist University is where I went to school. And it was going to be filmed right there on Cattle Lake, which if you've seen the opening scenes of Universal Soldier 2 with John claude Van Damme and Goldberg was in there, I was on the set and that 30 second intro took them about two months to film. And while I was there, of course, I loved it, just getting to hang out. And so I went and set up the tents. But, but literally, Jean-Claude Van Damme had it in his writer that if he got bit by ants, he could sue. So every day I would go out and put ant stuff around the tents. And so he wouldn't, you know, wouldn't get bit by an ant. And there was all kind of crazy stuff in their writer. And so as I was there literally every day, I mean, I skipped a lot of class for it. I'm not ashamed to say it. And so I was just there hanging out. I graduated, don't hate, right? I got to know John claudes chef because he had a personal chef that traveled everywhere with him. His name was Louie. He had this truck and he'd come up and cook stuff. And it was always funny because John claude wanted him to cook something unhealthy and he wouldn't do it. And I'm like, I need a chef. And, <laughs> and I met John claude Van Damme on a couple occasions and I actually took a picture with him. And what's funny is I put my arm around him and I kid you not, his head was right here. That sucker is short. He's like 5'8 or 5'9. Like you look at him on the movies and he looks so tall. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna like arm. I wouldn't do it, right? Because he could kick my, my rear end. But from that point forward, what would I always tell? I, I know Jean-Claude Van Damme. I got to know his chef, Louis. In fact, his, his chef invited me to the movie premiere in Dallas and I didn't go because I wanted to remain a Christian. And so I, uh, I got to know them. But do I have a relationship with Jean-Claude Van Damme? No, he don't know me. I don't have a cell phone number. And the reason why I tell you that story is that's a lot of people's story with Jesus. I met him once, took a picture, even said a prayer, walked an aisle. 
Yeah, but you don't know him. By this you know, John says, if you keep his commandments. So here's what I'm saying. We're not saved by works. We're saved by his work. But one of the ways that we know, Jesus says, you will know them by their, what? Fruit. And it's the fruit, Galatians 5 says, it's the fruit of the, anybody know? Spirit. So you look at that list, it's not the fruit of self. No one becomes more loving and more patient and more self-controlled by themselves. This is why if you ever like, I'm gonna get more patience. Good try, sucker. It ain't gonna happen. It only happens as you have a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, and then he does a work on your heart. And then one of the byproducts or the results, or the Bible would say fruit of that time that you spent with Jesus is now you're more patient. So here's what I'm saying to you. There's a lot of people who claim to know Jesus, but they don't walk with him. They don't obey him. They don't abide in him. And John says, that's how you know. So again, right doctrine, obedient living. We're not saved by works, but we're saved for them. And works are a key indicator of the fact that I am saved. What does that mean? John goes on, look at this. Here's the primary way we show we keep his commandments. Verse seven. He says, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now listen to verse eight. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Which one is it, John? Is it old or is it new? Yes. Yes, it's old and it's new. How? Which is true in him and in you because... The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Let's chat here for a second and I'll get into how we know what does that commandment look like. What John is saying here is it's not new to you in the sense that John didn't make it up. He said, I'm not giving you something. John's, basically what John's saying is I don't have the power to give you the command. That came from Jesus. You heard it from him in the beginning. Not in the beginning back in Genesis 1, but in the beginning with Jesus, the word. When the word was made flesh, you heard that. But then John says, but at the same time, it is new. Why? Because the true light's already shining and the darkness is going away. What John is saying is we're in a different age now. Post the cross, post Pentecost, we're in a different aeon now, a different season of time. And this new time that we're in is the true light has come. And when the light shows up, darkness has to fade away. Darkness cannot stand where there is light. So this commandment is new in the sense that it's not new to you, but it's new to the world. It's new to the world. And what is this new commandment that's so new? Look at this, verse nine. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So this commandment that we keep, how we know we're in him, is not how many Bible studies we've done or how much Greek and Hebrew we know. This commandment is how do I love my brother? Let me say it to you like this. Don't tell me how much you love God 
Because God, loving God is easy. What I mean by that is this, God is perfect. He's not hard to love. Loving your brother, on the other hand, is hard because he ain't perfect. Neither is your sister or your greasy granny, right? None of them. So what did Jesus say in Matthew 22? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. What is Jesus saying? He's connecting the two. Don't tell me how much you love God if you hate your neighbor. Because your love for God is only as great as your love for others. So horizontal, uh, vertical love is proved out horizontally. And so what John is saying is just what Jesus said. That's why he said it's not new. But in a sense, it's new because the world has never seen love like this. The world has never seen love that doesn't hate people, that treats people differently, not because they deserve to be treated that way, but because they love God. So the defining characteristic, now listen to this, the defining characteristic by how you know Someone is in him as you keep his command. And what is his command? Love your neighbor. Love your brother. Don't hate him. Why? Because if you hate him, the darkness is still in you. In fact, look at verse 11. He says it like this. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. How do you walk when you're in the darkness? Do you walk like this? Just all confident? Do you close your eyes when you're in the dark or do you leave them open? I leave them open. I'm trying to see. But just for illustration purposes, this is how I'm going to close my eyes. But this is how you walk in the darkness. Right? You're stumbling around. Someone's going to make that into a meme, right? Like you're stumbling around because you can't see. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, Christians who abide in Jesus, who obey his command are in the light and there's no cause for stumbling and they don't have to walk around like that because they can see their eyes aren't blinded. And so the key defining characteristic for Christians who live in the light is how they love their brother, how they love their sister. And so when they come into contact with something, they're not like, oh, I need to go around that. They deal with it and they love them. What if as a church, we were known for loving like Jesus? And how did Jesus love? He didn't wait for that person to change before he loved him. He didn't stumble over that person. He walked in full confidence of the light and said, no, I know you're sinning. I, I can see it. The darkness is a light to me. I know that you've had five husbands and the one you're with now ain't your husband. I see it, but I'm gonna love you. I'm not gonna try to avoid you. So stumble, I'm not stumble, I'm, I'm loving you. And then amazingly, she goes, and I said this last week, tells everybody, come see the man who's told me everything I've ever done wrong. 
How many of you know we're doing evangelism wrong when people don't leave our conversations like that? Come, come meet this Christian who just told me everything I did wrong. Why in the world would she say that? Because she felt so loved and accepted. What is she saying? I don't have to do wrong now. Do you understand that when Christians, and you see this in Acts 9 and 10, when Christians were first on the scene, they didn't call themselves Christians. They didn't label themselves Christians. They were not a voting block called evangelicals. They didn't call themselves. They just followed Jesus. You know what happened? And you go read this in Acts 9 and 10. Other people called them Christians because they kept reminding them of that Jesus guy who claimed to be the Christ. What if you and I quit calling ourselves Christians and just started loving like Jesus did and let other people call us Christians whether or not we loved? So maybe I should have the title, I should have called the message title, Don't Call Yourself Christian Anymore. But you would have thought I've been a heretic and I've gone way off. But what if you didn't call yourself Christian? You just loved your neighbor as yourself. You didn't gossip about your brother and sister. How many of you know church a lot of times is the worst place to be loved by somebody? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, does it in Romans again, does it in Timothy. He talks about gossip and murder and slander. You understand that he puts gossip on the same level as murder? You don't have to kill them with your fist. You can kill them with your voice. And here's the worst thing about Christians. I'm, I'm, this, I'm airing it all out now. We gossip in the form of prayer requests. I just need y'all to know. Did y'all know what she's doing? We need to pray for her. How many of you know when God hears that, he said, don't pray that. I ain't listening to that. Why don't you go tell her? What if we were a church that anytime we were around our brothers and sisters, we were trying to build up instead of tear down. We were trying to actually do what the Bible says and encourage one another. And the moment somebody in our circle started talking about somebody else, we got up and left. Said, so did you talk? You go ahead, you go ahead. But before you leave, you can say, did you talk to that person? Because that's what the Bible says. How many of you know that if the church actually started loving one another like that, the people in the world would actually want to join? What if we love like that? And listen, I'm not talking about just flesh and blood. It does apply to that. Obviously, I have a, six, a brother that's six years older than me, and he's struggled with sin for a long time. But it does my brother no good if I talk to my sister and my dad and my mother about my brother. You realize how much you have to hate somebody to gossip about them and not talk to them to their face? It, I just got to tell you, it annoys me when people say they love me and then they talk about me. That's not love. That's hatred. Because those who love me, those who love you, are going to come to you and say, man, I love you. And this is why I'm coming to you with this. What if we had a church like that? And what if when our brother came to us, we were gracious in receiving it because we know we're sinners. 
Yeah, you're right, man. I messed that one up. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Man, you let that happen between a couple people and you just watch what the Holy Spirit does. He says, by this you'll know. You'll keep his command. What is his command? Love your brother. Love your sister. He says, if you don't, you're not in the light. If you don't love, you're not in the light. It's high time for the church to stop judging people on exterior things like skin color and supposed righteousness. And look past that and say, this is my brother. This is my sister. And I'm no better off than they are. I'm a sinner just like them. Church, I'm telling you, if we have a church like that, the gates of hell can't stop it. And I'm also saying, if you keep hating on your brother and your sister, you may not be in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. God, we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what Jesus did. But when we are saved, we do things differently. And so those become evidences of what has happened. And God, it amazes me, and I see this in myself, so I'm not trying to throw stones, but it amazes me how we can be arrogant towards other people when we are just as much a beggar before your throne as they are. There is Jesus, and then there's everybody else. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so God, thank you that before the cross, the playing field is level. But thank you at the same time, God. What that means is it doesn't matter how much we've sinned. It doesn't even matter the particular nature and grievance of which we sinned. What matters is, is that what Jesus did paid for it all. And so God, if there's anybody here today who thinks that there is no way that you could love them, who thinks that there is no way that you could forgive them, would you say to them that your grace is sufficient? God, thank you for loving a sinner like me. And I pray right now you would save some people who need to know that you have done enough for even them. Nobody looking around or talking is in this, this moment of response. If you've never trusted Jesus, there's never been a point in time in your life where you confessed and you believed. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can pray with me to yourself, not out loud. It goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me. Forgive me. I give you my life. 
Now, again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just prayed that with me, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Just lift it up. Thank you. We got men and women going to walk around, put a gift in your hands, a Bible from us. When you get that, you can put your hand down. But then those of us who have trusted Jesus, the message is, is not today figure out if you're saved. The message is simply, if you are saved, you will do this. If you're not, you won't. But maybe you do need to repent. Repentance is not just something you do that when you're saved. Martin Luther said, all of life is repentance. Maybe there's somebody you've been talking about that you need to go talk to and seek their forgiveness. Maybe there's a brother and sister that you've been hating on and you need to go make it right. Because the gospel's at stake. What if other people don't come in and hear about the message of Jesus because you're here? Please let us never be a church that gets satisfied with just hanging out with, with believers and talking about how bad the world is getting. Let us never be that kind of church that just kind of says us for and no more, but always is going out and telling people about this amazing message that we've heard and says, yes, there's enough grace for you. How do you know that? Because he saved me and I was just as bad as you. Let us be a church that loves in action and in word. Father, I pray that you would, by your spirit and by your word, empower this in us. Because God, I don't want to play church. I don't want all of us to come around and act like we're better than we are. But I want to be a part of a movement that's changing the world where we are loving people regardless of their skin color regardless of their background, regardless of where they came from or what their story is. What a beautiful picture of heaven. We want heaven on earth. Would you make it happen by the name and power of Jesus? And it's his name we pray. Amen.